Welcome to the Best Self Podcast. Today we've got author, speaker, sports psychology consultant, Ray Santiago with us. I am so jacked to have you, buddy. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. You are a good one. I still remember the first time uh, we met, uh, which was a long time ago via baseball and doing my background naturally on this this cool cat that I never even met. And there wasn't one person didn't have a glowing review on you. And <laughs> multiple people saying you were the sharpest cat they'd ever been around on the baseball diamond. And you've always been really cerebral. So I just, I love your juice. I also love that you're really about the who. Yeah. I mean, what we get in this life, you know, is part of it, but who we become, I really think that's where the juice is. I'm sure most people come to you and they're expecting a lot of, they're, they're expecting one thing, but then you go and you start diving into the who. How do you sell someone on the who? Well, it's, I always tell them, I'm going to ask you the hardest question that you'll ever have with me. It's the first question I'm asked. Who are you outside of your sport? Mm. And there's just crickets mm. because so much of an athlete's life identity, everything is wrapped up in their sport, who they hang out with, what they watch on TV, what video games they play, what they talk about at the dinner table and from a young age. And it's not necessarily their fault. It's just the life and the beast of sport, right? It's they're always traveling. And so I grew up and everything was about me because I was one playing sports. So it was just their dinner table talk, everything. And so when I ask an athlete, so before we get into your sport or whatever's going on issue wise and how I can help you, tell me about you outside of sport. Because usually the number one reason is I'm so wrapped up in my sport that I'm on this roller coaster all the time of when I'm at my best, shoot, man, there's nothing better. When I'm at my worst, don't bother me. I'm not doing my homework. I'm shutting my door. I'm going to bed without dinner. Leave me alone. Right. So buying into that identity piece, it's kind of a, a, a piercing to the heart of like, I don't know who I am outside of my sport. And so one of the things is I teach him that sport is what you do. It's not who you are. Your sport is what you do. It's not who you are. And when you start to really grasp that, that means that I can take off my cleats, leave that dirt at the field and go, who I need, go be who I need to be next the best version of who I need to be next, right? Right now, you and I, the most important thing in our world is each other right now. But right when we get off of this call, I have a client waiting for me uh, right down the street. And then I've got to go, I get to go be a father. Then I get to go be a husband. And if you're get to is different than have to. And so, you know, I get to go be a student. If I can get an athlete to say, I get to go be a brother or a son or a daughter next, that's the whole goal of, okay, I can't do anything about this game anymore. Who do I get to be next? And there's a lot that goes into that, but that is a stable identity. And people talk about work life or play life balance. I don't believe that there's such a thing. It's 100% do what you need to do right now and then go be 100% what you need to be next. There's no 50-50, yes. right? That's balanced. If I'm 100 here, then 100 here, then 100 here, that's balanced. Mm, I love that you bring that up because I, for me, I, I genuinely say I don't believe in balance. I believe in priorities me, my, my core values, number one is my family. Uh, mm-hmm. One might say their faith. One might say a lot of different things. I love that. So how do we create a relationship with the person that we are today, with the person that we're called to be? 
you know, I don't know that this will exactly answer your question, but I think we'll get to that point. So when I when I'm doing a presentation, one of the first things I, I bring up is who do you get to become because of the goals you set? Mm. So when I work with athletes, they I say, hey, what do you want to do? Well, I want to go play D1. So the first question is it becomes, okay, well, what do you do? What do you need to do to get there? So you notice what do you need to do to get there? Mm. So all of a sudden there's a timeline that I need to get to D1 by this, and I need all these to do all these things. But when I say, well, who do you get to become because of the goal you set? So you set the goal of becoming a division one athlete. Who do you get to become because of that? If you notice, like, just ask them, did you feel any pressure when I asked you, who do you get to become? Like, there should be no pressure. But if I say, okay, what will we have to do? All of a sudden, there's a timeline and there's a, <laughs> there's a set list of steps. And so that's the pressure, the anxiety, the worry, the doubt, the depression, all of the things that come with a high school athlete and their parents usually, what do we got to do to get this? And it's like, wait a second, pause, pump the brakes. Who do you get to become? So if you want to play D1, what kind of work ethic do you get to develop? What kind of friend groups do you get to develop? Because if you're on a mission, all of a sudden you have to start weeding people out of your life that are not on that mission. Because guess what? If they're not on the mission, they will pull you away from yours. So that's who you get to become. Okay. What about your language? Instead of, I can't do this, or I have to do this, I need to do this, I should do this. You start leveling up your language on the ladder to, I choose to do this. Mm. I get to do this. I want to do this. And then the best one, I love to do this. And it's a mindset that's based off of language because your language changes your emotional state. Your emotional state changes your physical state. And when you have your language for you, your emotions for you, your body for you, all of a sudden your performance will be for you rather than against you. So that's who I get to become because of the goals I've set. And there's many more, but I'm gonna let you jump in. Oh, <laughs> so good. Absolutely. So, so I'm a big habits guy. I believe we are who our habits say we are. Mm -hmm. So what habits do you find? What are the most common ones you find that they need to be worked on? Like you're talking about who we wish to become. Mm -hmm. What are some of the most common ones you come across? And, and how do you get them to buy into that? Well, a lot of times they, they don't have very good habits, right? And it's, hey, if we're going to work together, here's who you need to become. Or here are some of the things that you need to establish in your life if you really want to get to where you want to become. And again, maybe I'm answering your question, maybe not. But having this idea of mastering the fundamentals. As in, uh, I can't, I think his name is Admiral something, McCarver. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. So, yeah. you know, he had the book, Go Make Your Bed. Like, that's a fundamental. It doesn't matter how I'm feeling. It doesn't matter how my days go. I can make my bed. And so in my inner coach club, half of the texts are I have kids doing the dishes or making their bed or showing me their room that's clean. Because if they're going to be in my group, they're going to do those little things in their personal life that absolutely will then pay off on the field. Because if I can do the little things that no one's paying attention to or no one ever sees, I can trust that you're going to do that with your sport that you really care about. And then that's where it's going to pay off on the field. And so with the fundamentals, this is a, this is a funny secret. I'm going to just give you a secret. Every time someone gives you a book, you know, you've written books, your secrets are in that book. Someone just has to go read them and apply them and they have your secrets met. And I don't care if you have my secrets. It's just the fundamentals. And Bruce Lee said, I don't, I don't fear the man 
who knows a thousand kicks one time. I fear the man who's practiced one kick a thousand times. And it's like, we, we always think there's more. We always think there's a higher level, but true mastery is really mastering the fundamentals and having a heart to just really understand the fundamentals to where, yeah, you shift and you, and you do all things, but it's because you have such a mastery of the, of the basics that then you can do more. But we think we need to do more before we've mastered the fundamentals. If I can get a team or a person to just make that as their habit, they're going to be dangerous. Yes. Yes. And I just, I just love the topic of habits. I mean, ownership is a habit. Happiness is a habit. Complimenting a teammate behind their back is a habit. All that stuff is really, really sexy to me. Um, Mm -hmm. You're talking. If you notice, all of those were in your control. Exactly. Right. They were all in your control. So exactly. That's what a habit should be based on is first what's in my control. Right. No doubt about it. Fear. Fear is a big one. You can give me your opinion. I believe fear is a learned behavior. I believe that, you know, for instance, I would talk to when I was coaching baseball, I'd always talk about how most pitchers, it's not that they can't throw strikes, that they're they're afraid to throw balls. And, you know, something along those lines, little little reframe type concepts. I know a lot of people that fear things and, and they're successful, but I don't really think they enjoy what they do. Mm-hmm. I mean, we talk about how success isn't the end of the road. Success is the road. They really mm-hmm. don't enjoy the process. How can you help that person? Is there any quick reframes or any words of wisdom you would say to that person that even for the person that feels that they're, they're meeting deadlines or they're, you know, a guy's hitting 400 or, you know, they're, they're, identities attached to outcomes mm-hmm. or fear does that make sense yeah i think there's a couple of questions wrapped up in there one i'm a little hearing a little bit of fear of failure but i don't you know that's that's a whole topic for another 20 minute talk with you but fear first and foremost it is an, an emotion and if we know what emotions are they're like a cloud they come and then they go so understanding that if i am feeling fear Know that I am not afraid per se, but I am feeling fear. So there's a detachment. It's almost like taking a selfie on the phone. There is fear right there, but it's not me. And when I can, when I can detach myself, when I can create that separation, I'm in control because I know that I'm having this fearful moment. And on top of that, there fear does exist. Like straight up like if you're a batter and there's a effectively wild pitcher there's a there's a real fear that you could get hit in the face or you could die i mean 95 mile an hour could kill you right. got a guy just got hit in the head the other day right yeah. in colorado on a line drive but um that's kind of like a, a different side but understanding that there is fear and being able to accept that it's there see we, we get afraid and we want to push it away no just be strong just be courageous no hey i'm i'm afraid right now but I can take a deep breath. Fear, I appreciate you trying to protect me because that's what it's trying to do. It's trying to protect me. It's just doing it in a really crappy way. Just say, hey, I appreciate that you're there. But right now, I'm confident that what I'm about to do, I'm safe, right? And fear is often a, a fear of the future, the unknown. So it's just, hey, I'm safe. I know that I'm safe. So there's a couple of ideas right there, right? Number one, accepting that it's in, fear is an emotion. It will stem from thoughts, but it's an emotion. I can detach myself from that emotion to where I hold that emotion in my hand. It's not holding me. And then I can say, guess what? I appreciate you trying to do your job, but I know that I am safe. 
And so all of a sudden that starts to dissipate. And then I go take action because action cures emotion. If I'm standing here and allowing the fear to be there, it's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. But if I just take one step and then the next step and the next step, that fear starts to dissipate because action cures emotion. Absolutely. I talk about our knees are supposed to knock a little bit at times. We're supposed, <laughs> yeah. we're supposed to have a couple of butterflies in us. Mm -hmm. It means that we care. Like we feel yes. because we care. If you had no emotions, if you had none of that, that to me would be like the coach that has quit talking to you. That's an yeah, issue. Yeah. You, know, and, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. He's giving up you know, on you. It's weird I, that you say that yesterday. I don't even remember what I was doing. I think I was talking to an athlete. Oh, yes. I was at a banquet. And the kid who was a star player had to go up on stage and give a speech. And he is like, you can just see him. He's shaking like a Polaroid picture. And I was just like, hey, Ray, when's the last time you felt that? When's the last time you walked into an environment where you couldn't control your body because it was a new moment? It was like something new, something, something bigger than you, per se, where you would have to get out and grow a little bit. And I was thinking, go find that. Whatever that is, go find it. Because I like to run towards the roar, right? Most people run away from the roar. I like to run towards it. But guess what? If you're not failing enough, you're not going to get that little knee knock. You're not going to get the butterflies. And, and you and I would agree, it's a privilege. It truly mm. is a privilege to mm. feel that way. Yes. If you and I had knocking knees, it's because we're in a position where it's exactly where we want to be. And maybe Absolutely. we've been striving to get there for months or for years and we finally get there. And our body's like, I'm not used to this, but I know I'm in the right place. <laughs> yep. Yeah, man, for sure. I mean, it is, it is, it's an absolute privilege. I mean, we want to be in big conversations. We want to be in big games. You don't, when you're seven, eight years old, when you're playing out with your buddies on the playground or whatever, you're not dreaming up games that with nobody in the stands with nothing <laughs> on the line. Right. I mean, we want to play in, we want to be in conversations and games and moments that matter. So really good a lot of times when i'm talking to the, you, know, you you kind of sparked uh something for me talking about speeches and i i'm a big body language guy i'm and i'm sure you are too that's definitely a controllable and i there was a study out of stanford years ago that talked about what people are actually looking at when you're in front of a crowd you know if you and i were meeting for the first time Everyone's always worried about looking stupid or goofing or what are they going to look like if things don't go well. But the studies showed that only 7% of what people are picking up on, in particular, the first time we meet, is the content coming out of our mouth, mm. which means 93%. 93% is about how we do what we do mm -hmm. and our body language. And do we appear to be confident in the words coming out of our mouth? Because as you know, if you come across as timid, if you don't come across as someone that actually buys into what you're saying, why should someone else? That's what people are picking up on. Body language, it's, it's, everyone, it's the language that everybody speaks. Right? It's the one language in the world everyone speaks. Yep. So make sure you yeah. speak it well. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, I mean, there's so many things that you can get from playing sports. Uh, I love baseball for many reasons, but there's so many life lessons. It's such a, it's a tough sport. It really challenges things like body language. And what we come to learn is that people's perception of us, and we're kind of talking about this right now, people's perception of us, that's our reality. They could be totally wrong. Again, tying it to baseball, if we're a perceived threat to steal second base, 
we could get our hitters more fastballs to hit. We could get a hanging breaking ball for our hitter. We could get them, you know, a pitcher's jobs to get out and miss barrels. But -hmm. if he's thinking about us on first base, his priorities are all out of whack. We're winning the the battle between the ears right there. And we've only got like five minutes, buddy. And then, um, you know, I'll let you kick me to the curb. (laughs) What? We can always do it again. We could for sure. If people only knew you, they'd know that that in itself is a privilege. What are some of the things, most common things you see in the best? The best of the best, they have these things in common. Mm. They're able to move on quickly. The ability to accept what is. So I'll give you a quick equation. Suffering or, or mental anguish, if you want to call that, equals pain times resistance. If you're an athlete, it's suffering equals failure times resistance. So the more you resist the failure, the more suffering you'll experience. So in my equation with my athletes, I use negativity. The more you fail and resist that failure, the more negativity you'll experience. So the opposite, and I'm speeding this up, um, but the opposite of resistance, because resistance is wishing things were different than how they are. So it's like literally hitting your head against the wall, wishing that you didn't lose the game, but you can't change it. So the sooner I can accept it, the failures still happen. So that's that doesn't change, that's a fixed number, but the resistance is your variable. If I can accept what is, then my negativity goes down. So these are for the people who don't naturally just move on quickly, which is 99% of us, right? right? So again, negativity equals failure times resistance. We're all going to fail. But the quicker you can accept what is the failure, the quicker you can get out of that negative space to the point where if we put in 25 equals 5 times 5, so your negativity is 25, your failure is 5, and your resistance is 5, the lower my resistance, the lower my negativity. At some point, you can get to a resistance of zero, meaning full acceptance. So anything times zero is zero. So I can actually play a whole game with zero negativity because I can learn to accept what is that quick. We call that next play speed. How quickly can you move on to the next play? Can you move on so quick that it looks like you're always in the present moment? I would say that the best are able to do that better than anybody to move on to that next play. Awesome. I just got a couple more questions. How would you define productive? Productive? Yeah. What makes what makes an action? What action. makes something? <laughs> what's that? Reaction? In, no, action in the right direction. Yeah. I guess yeah. that's that's the best. Because okay? it, it is not necessarily a result. You know, I can hit a line drive and I can be productive with my body language that I didn't react like how I used to react and throw my stuff or yell f you because i have players who do that <laughs> right? right so it's it's how that would be productive so it's not necessarily a result it's what is the process you're working on and am i actually getting better at that process mm, that's really good buddy so if you were to write a column today or whoever and it was titled what most people get wrong about success what would that column be about how most successful people dislike themselves that most successful people are their biggest critic rather than their best coach. And that's what I'm all about. So I have this, what I call the inner coach club. I also have a book called the pillar beast, how to, how to transform from your biggest critic to your best coach. Most successful people are very self-critical. So they don't actually enjoy their success because they either need more success. 
to live up to some standard that's unrealistic or impossible. And that's yeah. why I'm more interested in helping people build their inner coach. And that has, that's all built on self-compassion, which is being kind to yourself. <laughs> yeah. Foreign concept, foreign concept yeah. in this world. You know, I laugh, but that was so me for so many years, including when you and I met. Mm -hmm. I have always jokingly said that I spell fun W-I-N. <laughs> uh, yeah. I really sense. like to win. But, I mean, I literally won state titles when I was a baseball coach and didn't enjoy my season. Mm -hmm. I remember winning one year. The whole team is, is jump, you know, dogpiling. The other coaches are all hugging. And I literally sat down on a bucket and exhaled. <laughs> I mean, how bad is that? I, and it was shortly after that where I really realized I had an issue mm. that I've, I've always been a relationships guy. I've always loved my players and all that stuff, but I put such a premium on things that I shouldn't have been a putting a premium on. Well, buddy, you got 30 to 45 seconds, 30 to 45 seconds to talk to our audience, six continent wide on how they can begin creating the best version of themselves today. Awesome. Well, uh, my definition of mental toughness is something I've never heard before. So I will share it with the audience and hopefully they take and run with it. Mental toughness is showing up for yourself no matter what. It's super easy to show up for yourself when things are going well. But can you show up for yourself when crap is hitting the fan? And we all know that crap does hit the fan because negativity has never worked once. Criticism has never worked once, not even once. So if we know that now, but we know that building ourselves up helps us rebound and get us back to where we need to be, then start showing up for yourself no matter what. Awesome, buddy. Thank you so much. I know you're a high demand guy uh, <laughs> and you still slid us into your schedule. And I'm just so appreciative of our friendship and, and all that you do to, to give back to your community. Thank you so much. You bet, my brother. Thanks for having me. You bet, man. Make it a great day.